0: Oh, wow. Well, happy Easter, guys. Uh, hope you, hopefully you kids are enjoying sugar rushes, rushes right now. And uh, I'll try uh, to somehow put... Oh, yeah. And can we... You know, there's no elegant way to take masks off these days. You know, it's just... We're all living these weird lies so it's easter this is the center of this christian story no other story in the bible matters a lick if this story did not happen without easter christmas would be boring Without Easter, we wouldn't celebrate anything about Jesus. Without Easter, Jesus would join the thousands of forgotten spiritual teachers of the ancient world versus being talked about on every continent today. Without Easter, none of this matters. Lately, uh, many of you probably are still are feeling a sense of exhaustion. Just personally, I, I've, I've shared this before, I struggle with cycles of depression, both biological and circumstantial. I feel like I've been surrounded by death lately, you know, death of my, being there with my dad when he died, death of my grandfather, and just all these deaths surrounding COVID, and uh, just the deaths at the hands of authorities in our country, of vulnerable people. Death has been this ongoing theme, and death is the chief problem of humankind. Death and loss, whether inflicted by empire, whether self-inflicted because we've been infected with the self-loathing that is always at our door, or uh, disease-infected, or... Hey, death is always bad. Death is always hard. But we believe Jesus dealt with death. And I am uh, praise God that I can be vertical with you today. And one thing that has encouraged me is I've been meditating on the gospel, literally doing work with my hands and listening to the gospel over and over on repeat. And today I look forward to sharing you the gospel in two ways. One way you may have already heard, one way maybe you need to on hear, and then another way that I think is profoundly more biblical. But before I do that, I want to read one of the epic Easter passages. This is after Jesus rose after being crucified on the cross of the Roman Empire, pushed forward by a religious empire. Both uh, the Roman Empire and the religious empire and the powers colluded both to murder Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. This is where celebrating that Jesus came back and got to demonstrate, is that all you got? You lose, love wins. So here's the passage when Jesus is in, in incognito mode on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with, with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Don't know what's going on there. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. Their faces were downcast. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and the rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, but they couldn't find his body. They came to us and told they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions, they went to the tomb and found it just as the woman said. But they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, Guys, how foolish you're being. How slow to believe what the prophets have always been telling you. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. I'm going to read the second half later. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall where Jesus helped shows us how we've been reading the Bible wrong and explains how the picture of God is wrong and we've been reading it through the lens of our own brokenness, our own self-loathing, our own bad experiences of family, and we don't hear mercy, but we see retribution? The way that we bring our own frailties to our reading of scripture and then having jesus himself unknown to us explaining the bits of the story that seem to be hidden from us because mercy isn't god beating the hell out of you and then saying okay are you ready i'll give you mercy i'll relent if you just change mercy is god in tears seeing people suffer at their own hands or the hands of others and saying i'm going to intervene Mercy isn't God relenting mercy is God intervening because God doesn't hurt people people hurt people God doesn't hurt people people hurt people so The gospel there's two ways to tell the story. There's one way that it's been told especially I think most of us have heard it this way and it contains beautiful truths and it's actually hearing the story told this way set me on the road to getting to know Jesus for the last 30 years and I feel like like any good friendship There's always more to know in a person. There's always more you don't check mark the boxes of a friendship You ask what new places are there for us to go? But my entry into understanding Jesus was through a, a formula check boxes and insecurity and Despite that God began a good work with me in 1979 all right so i'm not bragging on people telling this i've told the story this way thousands of times but i want to do it using chairs this is kind of a meme or something uh in the church these days it started i think in an orthodox church but the deal is everyone tells their own version of the story and something's been going around as people have been Hitting the basic notes of this and doing it with their own style. I hope all you guys could learn to do this So this is my best attempt We have two chairs this first chair Nice wooden chair got some scars and gouges on us well over a hundred years old Uh, It's a thing of beauty. This is going to represent God now this Amazon Prime deal plastic chair that actually is very comfortable, but it's not this chair. This represents humanity, our incondition, our need for beautification, all these things. So we have humanity and the weave of God. And the scriptures tell the story that God created the world, it was good, God created humankind, and humankind was good, and basically said, hey guys, I'm giving you a great garden, take care of it, just don't eat the fruit of this one tree. This is how this overarching story of humankind is summarized for us. Then humankind says, "We're gonna, I want to eat that tree. They turn around. And they're separated from God. And then God cannot look upon sin. Because God can look at nothing that is unholy. So God turns his back on humanity. So God something needs to happen. This relationship is completely broken down and we see throughout the Old Testament how humankind after turning away keeps moving further and further and God is gets Wrathful and angrier and angrier right we see this story But we're told various times in the Old Testament that God is going to send a savior. That's going to sort this mess out and that savior is Jesus. Jesus comes into the world, faces humanity, who is turned away, and Jesus lives a perfect life. Jesus doesn't make all that mistakes that we make. Jesus doesn't have all the epic fails that we have. Jesus uh, does it right because we've been doing it wrong and then because the way humankind is humankind colludes both religious and political collude to murder Jesus Jesus is on the cross saying my God my God why have you forsaken me because God turned his back on Jesus standing instead and then Jesus rises again And faces humanity. And says, if you believe this story, we can be like this. If you believe this story, we can be like this. Uh, If you don't, you know, whatever. And so we're left in this place that... There was a legal issue. We were stained with sin. God came, and God had to pour down his wrath on someone. So God pours his wrath on Jesus. It's almost like the the older brother going to the dad and said, Please don't beat up Jimmy for breaking that. Uh, I'll take his punishment. Spank me instead. And somehow, Jesus is negotiating with God. And God's like, "I, I... God's like saying, I've got tattooed on my hands two things. I've got love and I've got hate. Accept me and you get love. Don't accept me, you get the hate hand. And this vision, and we endeavor to understand, well, Jesus did the rules perfectly while we couldn't. If we believe these things, that means our sins are washed away and we get to go to heaven when we die, and between now and when we go to heaven when we die, just don't screw up anymore. All right? So that's one way the story is told, and obviously I took some liberties with that. I want to take a, That is a formulaic way of telling the story. It's almost mathematical. You've got this debt. The debt gets paid, wiped away. Uh, you don't even really need to tell any stories to tell the story. You just talk about someone went into the debt column, and did an infusion of cash to balance the accounts. Yet, the story of God's goodness leaks through any way we tell it. Any way we tell it, God has this annoying habit of leaking through in his grace. And so many people get the heart of Jesus right, even if they don't know they're getting the heart of Jesus right. Sometimes people think God the Father is waiting to kick our butt all the time, yet, as a parent, you probably give your kids a lot of grace. So many of us think we're actually kinder parents than God, right? Like, imagine we approach our kids, unless you get everything right about knowing who I am, say my name, uh, we have no relationship. Versus as parents you loving parents you pursue your kids you love your kids You nurture them when they screw up and hurt themselves because they disobeyed you and touched the burner you dress their wounds You don't wait for them to say okay. I I put my hand on the burner. This is wrong Here's why I've degraded my tissue this this and and you told me wrong Here's all the dimensions you were wrong about not you were right about uh, touching this and the parents saying okay I'll take you to the emergency room now so But let's talk about story. And there's truth in that telling of the gospel, but it it isn't pretty. It's not beautiful. But for some reason, the human animal, unique, many animals create beauty. Spiders weave intricate webs. There's things called peacocks. There's uh, uh, eastern bluebirds. Animals do beauty. But animals don't appreciate beauty. When an animal sees colorful plumage of a bird, they just say, Mate with this one to have more babies. They don't say, wow, they say, sex. (laughs) But humans recognize beauty, long for beauty, and seek to create beauty, and we long for a beautiful story. And this is a beautiful story in the Bible. I believe we have distortion fields that are always trying to inject our self-loathing and our pain into the story in a way that obscures the story. So, do this again. God creates humankind. Out of all his creation, God says, this is so good. Man, I'm a great artist. Look at that. Humanity, this planet, and humans especially. I love humans. And he develops the relationship. But God is not coercive. there's no such thing as a coercive relationship. There's no such thing as asserting power giving us a real relationship, though we've seen so many examples of it on the news and in our own lives. God tells a story, he offers humankind a way to interact with him in community, gives just one boundary, saying cultivate and care for this one tree, but don't eat the fruit just this one you got a whole orchard here humankind embraces hyper individualism humankind embraces autonomy and says nope we're gonna have this now autonomy is not freedom the ability to do anything you want is not freedom it might be freedom for one person you because total autonomy always gives birth to authoritarianism because if everyone is an autonomous person the strongest autonomous person is eventually going to want something of the other autonomous person and because of the strongest they're just going to take it and that is the birth of human empires that is the birth of man-made empires autonomy always leads to authoritarianism autonomy is not love autonomy is not interdependence we've heard a lot regarding covid these days is if people of faith equating i'll do whatever i want because freedom isn't free and all that stuff. When reality is you're just an authoritarian. If you choose to do whatever you want and infect me with the disease, you've asserted power and caused injury. And each of us become emperors unto ourselves and sometimes organized. Whether it's Stalin, Chairman Mao, the British Empire, American imperialism, whatever it is. Autonomy. I want to, I will do this one thing my way, gives birth to that. And then God, we have the story Adam and Eve, are hiding. They turn their face from God. They initiate hiding. And we have this imagery painted of God walking through the garden saying, where are you? Where are you? What have you done? Humankind says, we're naked. Look at us. We're a mess. We screwed up. And God makes them clothes. God enters into the story, oh, you you feel naked right now? Well, here's some clothes. You know, this paradigm of autonomy you've created is going to inflict all kinds of trouble on you and the world, and history is the testimony of that. But God says, I'm going to intervene, and there will be a suffering servant who will come, who will crush the head of death and evil and will bleed. And then the story is God intervening so man turns away God doesn't just stand there and wait. God makes the preemptive loving first move We've got Daniel. Oh, who else? Oh, Abraham promised to be the father of Israel is told him and his wife gonna have yet instead uh, he, he uh, Enters a non-consensual relationship with Hagar creates a baby But then Rachel gets pregnant, and so he creates a baby. Apart from that, uh, Sarah gets pregnant, and he says, well, forget this first baby. He casts Hagar into the wilderness. So he's doing his own agenda of autonomy, uh, using his power against Hagar. Hagar gets to be the first person in the Bible to name God. She comes up with her first name. She's the first one to describe the name, an a name of God. She's starving. She's in the desert. Her baby's going to die. And God cares for her. And she sends this, and he says, "You not only are you going to live, but you are going to birth an entire nation. And there have been millions, perhaps billions of people who've descended from Hagar, you know, the mu- mu- Muslim people, descended from Ishmael, her son, who survived. So instead of starving in the desert, God created a family that is with us today and she says she symbolizes Abraham's turning away and she said you are the God who sees me you are the God who sees me In the first way we told the story we said God can't bear to look at sin and evil he can't have anything to do with it because he's holy but instead we see God Adam turns this way God goes Uh-uh-uh. Uh, Cain, first murderer, kills his brother. God says, I know what you did. People are going to kill you for this. I'm going to make sure no one can murder you in retribution. He puts a mark saying, don't mess with this guy. Abraham uh, uh, engages in using his power to uh, take advantage of Hagar. And God gives Hagar an everlasting family that keeps keeps her alive. We get, oh man, there's so many more stories in this scripture. We get, uh, the nation of Israel provokes an empire to invade them and destroy them. partially through making treaties with other nations where they've compromised their faith. And other things, they provoke their enemies. God says, you're going to be in captivity. And they're taken to captivity. And God... Through his prophets engages him in captivity and continually reminds him hope, 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 love, love, love. In the culmination of the Old Testament, the clear part. You know, when we read the Old Testament, whenever it looks like Jesus, that's the true nature of God. Whenever it doesn't look like Jesus, it's how people bring their own interpretation to God. And we have... Jesus entering hope and finally, He gives kind of a, a thumbnail of his agenda through Micah. He says What does God want? What does God require it guys do justice? fall in love with mercy and walk in humility That's what God that is what happens when relational love takes over coercion authority and autonomy And then we get the story of Jesus Jesus comes into the world because people need a relationship to know beyond a formula. People, if we have a formula, we can all argue about the efficacy of different formulas, but we needed a friend, not a formula. Jesus comes in. He demonstrates his kingdom, tries to keep it under wraps for a while while it can slowly marinate. He goes. And there's a group of people that are separated from God, the lepers. No one can touch them. Lepers are not allowed to go to the temple worship because no one wants to get contagious. Lepers are turned away and are alone. Jesus says, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, not only am I going to heal you, but first I'm going to touch the sores on your skin. I'm going to hug you while you're still sick. I'm not going to heal you so you can be my presence. I'm going to preemptively touch you. Wounds festering and all, and they're healed. There is a woman in Samaria who's a poster child for broken relationships. In the ancient Near East, she'd been divorced and married several times, probably felt like a relational failure, especially in a kind of a shame-based, honor-based culture of the ancient Near East. Jesus reads her marriage and says, you've been married X, Y, Z, 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 and you're living with this guy right now, shacking up, and she's like, Oh, God, you're a prophet. But Jesus keeps engaging her. To engage someone, to ask them to please give me something to drink, was to signify total social acceptance and love. You would not take a drink from someone unless they were your friend and they were worthy to be in total community with you. God preemptively, and what I love is, here's Jesus alone with a woman i've heard christians say well uh, christian men say well i can't be alone with a woman because that's inappropriate because then i must have sex with her and uh, you know i need to be pure and women are are the reason men fall you know you may have heard someone say that where jesus breaks the rule and says women are going to lead in my kingdom just like men and this woman this samaritan woman ends up being the first jesus storyteller to the samaritan people wow Zacchaeus the tax collector. We have Israel is occupied by the Roman Empire. They're in total despair. A very tiny group of citizens in Israel buy franchises to inflict the pain of Rome by taxing them. So you say, okay, this country's invaded us. I want to help them shake you down for money. They're loathed. They're hated. The tax collector always eats lunch alone. And Zacchaeus hears the story of Jesus. I imagine him before. knows Jesus coming to this area of town. He goes up, sneaks up, and climbs a tree. So he can kind of surveil Jesus. Probably said he wanted to see Jesus because he was a short guy. Probably also because he didn't want people to hassle him because everyone hated him. And Jesus walks through this huge crowd of the good old people. Goes straight to the tree where despised Zacchaeus is standing. Jesus goes, ah, kid. We're gonna have lunch. Let's. I'm coming to your house, and we're gonna have a party. You know what? I've always heard about the importance of accepting Jesus into my heart, which didn't mean really heart, meant accept these Jesus facts. But what we see is Jesus preemptively accepted Zacchaeus into his heart, and Zacchaeus. Because God's non-coercive love was given the freedom to respond to the preemptive love of Jesus. And you know what he did? He redistributed his wealth. He paid everyone back and became an early, a leader in the early church. That's Zacchaeus. Oh, we've got a woman caught in the act of adultery. There's something akin to a fundamentalist interpretive of Sharia law in the ancient Near East. If you catch someone in adultery, you stone them. And we just see how twisted is this. Because how many people does it take to commit adultery, bare minimum? It takes two people. How many people are brought before Jesus? Is it a male or female that's brought before Jesus? It's the woman. This is how frat boy empire works in the world. The woman has to bear the brunt, just like Adam tried to blame shift on Eve. And they say, What should we do? Let's stone her. I imagine the people. Standing towards the people standing towards this woman, getting ready to throw rocks. Jesus stands in front of her in the rocks. And he goes, Oh. And Jesus does something, you have a system of argument. And Jesus disrupts this dysfunctional system, stands in front of the woman, just starts doodling on the ground. We don't even know what, but it's pretty ridiculous. This woman's about to die. You've been questioned by all the intellectual, uh, religious, political leaders of your day. There's a life on the line. And Jesus starts digging in the dirt. Hello, Jesus is ridiculous. Praise God. And then he gets up and goes, hey, I got an idea. Okay, you want a stone? Okay, one of you hasn't sinned. You get to go first. And then everyone's like, uh. The young people kind of stand. The old people who have the biggest sin stories. Maybe most humility, say, oh, I'm out of here. I've got a Tupperware party to go to, and they just kind of leave. You know, the, the old folks, the young people still feel a little righteous, but those angry young people that know everything, even they leave. Then it's just Jesus alone with this woman who's just been caught in the most humiliating compromising situation. And he says to this woman, where, 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 where's these people, I thought we had a stoning going on. And she goes, they left. And he goes, well, they don't condemn you, neither do I. I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, we bring our experience of broken relationships, fear of fathers, whatever abuse we've seen, and we read a tone of voice in Jesus that is demonic and not real tone Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, "Go go and sin no more, or you will be stoned. Jesus doesn't say, Uh, I'm not gonna condemn you, go and sin no more, or else. Jesus says, I do not condemn you. No strings attached. Don't hurt yourself like this. Don't sin no more. He's saying you got a clean slate. Really enter into joy. Don't repeat this agonizing cycle of abuse and utilization and betrayal. You are new. You are fresh. You've got baby skin where the calluses and the scars used to be. Just go. Enjoy it We have jesus so we have I've got so many jesus. Jesus actually takes one of the occupying romans one of the occupying romans the centurion and centurion wants his servant healed And jesus has a happy party and said there is no more faithful person in this country than this invading soldier of violence How insulting to everyone else and jesus said the guy says hey I know you're in charge. Can you just do a long-distance heal? I don't want to really crimp your style. And Jesus said, that's awesome. Bam. The person healed. So Jesus hugs the swords of the leper and the ominous soldier he gives the long-distance heal on behalf of. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. They welcome him. Saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. That means save us now. Save us now. It's the only thing you would say to a king that would overthrow an oppressor. That was enough to get Jesus crucified. The Pharisee says... Uh, tell them to stop saying that we're going to lose our 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 marriage to empire here in the romans if the romans get upset we're all screwed and jesus like i'm not going to stop them no one can stop this story this story lives and this story bulldozes through all your pretensions and this story will raise empires and today no empire that existed in the time of jesus exists jesus is being celebrated on every continent love wins bam so Jesus, but on the cross, there's one phrase that people tattoo onto their heart, whether they know or not, and Jesus cried out lyrics to a psalm he would have sung thousands of times, Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we've extrapolated that to when Jesus went on the cross, he became sin, which meant, uh-oh. God the Father can't look at this Jesus anymore. He's got to forsake him. Bam, bam, bam. And Jesus is forsaken. Now, Jesus is asphyxiating at the hands of empire. Whenever you hear Jesus quote a verse, he's indicating to them the whole chapter. And frankly, we can't bust on Jesus because he could, in his dying breaths, eke out full paragraphs. But we go to Psalm 22, and I want to read a couple things. So you need to know the context of what the forsaken story is all about, because this is your story too. Anyone here felt forsaken? Huh? Anyone biologically wired to forsaken times? Right? Anyone? Anyone need? I want to ask you know need medical attention to help their forsaken reflex. This so many to skew towards the story of forsaken. But, Jesus, Psalms 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out by day, you don't answer. I can't rest at night. Go to verse 14, I'm poured out like water. My bones, they're out of joint. That would happen on a cross. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted. My mouth is dry like a pot shirt. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. Here, you've laid me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and the feet. Wow, crucifixion mentioned like 700 years, 600 years beforehand. Wow. Uh, my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over them. They're dividing my clothes among them and gamble for my garments but you are Lord, Lord, don't be far from me. Wow. This, this forsaken figure happens to go through everything Jesus was going through. Verse 24, the psalm that Jesus knew by heart. He, but then, he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. But he has listened to the cry for help so not only is the afflicted one there god is up close in the grill listening to that afflicted one can i get these any closer god is right there he's listened to the afflicted one he's not hidden in his face from them he listens and you know the implications of this it says the poor are going to eat and be satisfied because christians will be known for feeding the poor by the way. Those who seek the Lord will praise Him. Their hearts will live forever. Death is abolished. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Who here is still with Artemis? No, but they're with Jesus. All the families of all nations will bow down before Him. That's why Christian nationalism is an oxymoron. Because all nations is the nation of God. All peoples are the nation of God. We don't pledge allegiance to a flag. We break bread together and call it communion and say the the agenda of God is a welcome and a table. Those who cannot... On with the verse. All the rich of the earth even will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve them. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness declaring to a people who haven't even been born yet that he has done it. So Jesus moved through the song of the forsaken in his mind to the story of you are experiencing forsaken as much as a human can be, but God is right here with you. God isn't saying, I can't look at you because you have sin and because I can't be seen to cavort with sinners. I can't be infected by the virus of sin. Now, listen, there was a people group that said that often it was the pharisees who had sold out to the Romans the pharisees could not look at evil the pharisees could not touch broken people they mocked Jesus and said Ew, he eats with sinners Ugh. but we think God the Father is like the pharisees when the Hebrews says we knew a dim shadow of what God was like but Jesus is the crystal clarity in God, there is nothing unchristlike. christ like Guys, God isn't the Father who abandoned you. God is the Father who rescued you. God looks upon sin over and over and over. When Jesus touches the leper, he doesn't get leprosy. The leper gets healed. That's how kingdom of God algebra works. So, then Jesus Says to us, says to his disciples, the ragtag bag of misfits, go into every single country, every world, every ethnic group. Don't work, worry about dying because dying was temporary for me. Dying's going to be temporary for you too. So you're free to love with impunity because death won't be a permanent state. And they do. And they suffer. They suffer just like Jesus suffered. People say, that uh, God will if you're a good righteous nation God won't let you suffer listen Christians true Christians will suffer Uh, fake Christians will deride the benevolence and sacrifice and advocacy of true Christians and say their suffering proves it but true Christians will embrace the temporal sufferings of Jesus for the eternal redemption of Jesus friends God invites us into this story This is a drama, and it is a romance. It ain't a formula. And Jesus trumps any false view of God you have. Anything you believe about God doesn't look about Jesus. You're reading it wrong. It's complicated. So Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Let's get to the second bit of this. As they approached the village, they were going to, Jesus continued on as if he was just going to leave them behind. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's, it's almost night. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, remember, at the table means 100% full acceptance into intimate relationship. Their reputation is your reputation. He sat at the table with them, barely knew the guys. He took bread, he gave thanks, and broke it. Uh-oh, Jesus is going to keep doing communion. He's going to keep reappropriating Passover to say, this is the meal of God breaking bread with you. Jesus broke the bread and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him. He, he disappeared from their sight, but they asked each other, were not our hearts just burning within us? While he talked with us on the road to the scriptures So we have Jesus once again These people don't know him They don't know the truth of the story But Jesus starts by Relating with them and breaking bread with them. The preemptive mercy is on the front load Mercy of God That is how God You are not a stench to God You are his precious child Who will, He will do anything To not only restore relationship with you The main, you know, Sin was a problem But the biggest problem of humankind is death and loss and how much we know that now. And Jesus said, in me, you get to have new life. And the righteousness of God is vindicated because death is not permanent. And we are invited non-coercively to, at whatever time we do this, to respond to that invitation. God is getting in our grill and he pursues us. We'll turn here. God's like, "Uh -uh uh-uh, we're here. God's like, oh, come on, come on, come on. We're in here. And you know what the fire of God is? We always think the fire of God is God saying, take this, take this, take this. You bad person, burn, blowtorch. When God brought the fire to Isaiah, he brought the coal to the lips of the Hebrew prophet Isaiah. Once that coal went to the lips, Isaiah's speech became as the speech of God. And he preached of the mercy of God. And Isaiah became one of the preeminent storytellers of the God who will suffer for us. When the fire comes, the garbage is burned away, you've got pure gold. And God, in the same way, invites us to encounter not the fire of his love. And we can decide to turn and accept it. God is not... Coercive God is not authoritarian. God is relational So as Jesus had communion as Jesus broke bread and fully accepted these people into relationship They didn't even understand him and frankly I still don't understand God. I don't understand Jesus I can barely endeavor to tell even describe what I've Experienced in my heart from him not only what I there's a lot more there But even a little bit of my experience of God's love I can never fully talk about But I know him I knew him through a legal formula and he invaded the formula So I could have through the Holy Spirit experiences of his love He'll invade your formula too. Maybe you've never considered Jesus or maybe you've considered him in a primitive way That wasn't very love marinated Listen God Jesus accepted Zacchaeus into his heart And Zacchaeus is invited to reciprocate so in the bread Jesus took the bread and he broke it He gave thanks broke it. This is my body which is for you the pledge of allegiance to the kingdom is embracing brokenness And he said this cup we're drinking the shot we're taking This is my blood shed for you. God doesn't shed people's blood. He would bleed out first In the way we identify with Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus, we don't shed blood. We relate to Christ's bloodshed. God did not crucify Christ. Human autonomy and power crucified Christ. And Jesus said the forces, supernatural and physical, of evil won't win, love will win. Please stand. God, I pray for everyone here. We've come through a hell of a year give us the Easter story deeper than we ever considered it help us to become storytellers of your mercy help us to be ridiculous as Jesus ridiculous who are we supposed to ride in the dirt for when we're intervening and someone being shamed who is the depressed person that we're going to counter the voices in their head and tell them how precious it is who's the sick person that can't receive health care that we're going to have help them navigate the complex system so they can get health care who is the person who is an immigrant who doesn't even have a passport because they don't have citizenship in their old country a stateless person who's the immigrant that is undocumented here looking for someone to break bread with who's because Jesus is king Caesar's got nothing on us and the worst they can do is kill us and death doesn't stay So I want to pray a prayer right now And I want to encourage you like repeat after me if you can and if you can't God bless you too Father God I've really slandered you I've treated you like you're just a an abysmal dad that may want to have a relationship with me That's hard to repeat. I've treated you like a conditional father I've not treated you as a pursuing daddy. God, restorify my brain. Restorify, restore my brain. I want to repent of a retribution formula and I want to enter into the rejuvenating story that wipes away my shame. I give my life to you to the extent I can understand you. Please make me your hands and feet. Weird person that I am that you love. And let's tell the story together. I look forward to seeing you face to face. Uh, Some version of that. Amen?